the party, immobilized atop the crown of Egadon by Karagas, with some new found power. Each and every one of them sank into unconsciousness, consumed by an all-encompassing darkness. As we go now to Vamok, your last sight is that of Cad stalking up to the group, proud, haughty, and for a moment in his visage, you see something familiar. You see an expression that you've glimpsed a hundred times in your kin, in your brother, in your father. This strange mix of pity and disappointment. And then it's gone. Black. There's a ringing in your ears that rises to clarity as a rushing wind. And Vamok, you come to sitting on the edge of a cliff, it would seem high atop a mountain. Though just from the formations you can notice around, it's not anywhere in the fell. There are pine trees all around, spread beneath you on these great white slopes. And you're on this little jagged outcropping, your legs dangling off. And as you look down at yourself and your legs just kicking back and forth almost unconsciously, You really can't help but notice that they're much, much smaller than they should be. And not as blue as they currently are, being a Mazkin. In fact, your hands bear the markings of a Goliath. Though, judging from the size of your feet and your toes poking out from your leather and fur sandals, you can't be more than ten years old. However, you possess the capabilities, at least mentally, it would seem, and the recollection of the moments that just came before. Vamak will take a moment, look at his hands, look at the front, look at the back, look around, and he recognizes this sitting place. It's a place that he used to visit kind of as often as he could get away from everybody else, his father and brother especially, where he could just go and sit and look out at the world with bright-eyed wonder that he hasn't felt for decades. And... Even though he recognizes it, he is wary. He still remembers everything that just happened. He still remembers Cad stalking up towards the group after incapacitating them all. And so he's going to take a look around, and he's going to see if he can find anything out of place. See if he can find the source of what he is assuming to be an illusion. Roll insight. Ooh, starting the night off hot with a 21. As you look around, honestly trying to glean some imperfection in this supposed illusion, instead, there's more so just a general calm that you notice in the wind, in the trees, even in the snow as it lights beneath you. There's a serenity here that you as Vamok have not experienced in an overlong time. Vamok connecting the feeling that he feels now with his past and with the experience with the the deer right before going into the demiplane he knows that he should like look at this harder and he should figure out what the trick to all of this is uh, but just for a few minutes he's just going to kind of put that on the back burner he's just going to forget about that and just enjoy the moment. He's just going to feel what's going on against his better judgment, right? 
point. He's going to drink deep from this feeling that he hasn't felt in so long. This feeling of not having to care about anything, right? Similar to the feeling that he felt on the beach so long ago. And so he's going to sit back down at the edge of this and, you know, he's going to pick up a little pebble and he's going to lean over the edge just a little bit and he's going to drop the pebble down and just see if he can tell where it hits. But, you know, it's the pebble so small and the drop is so great that after a few seconds, he loses sight of it and he thinks he can hear the faintest, like, plink of the stone hitting the ground, but he's not sure if that's real or just imagined. And Yeah, and he's just gonna do what kids do and kind of occupy himself for a time, not really thinking about too much, not really worrying about the greater schemes, the greater mechanisms at play here. He's like the gods, the heart of the void, all of that has completely left his mind. And you hear, refreshing, isn't it? And then a split second later, a boot is planted on your back. And without even the time it takes to turn your head to glance at Cad, he kicks you off the edge of this cliff. And as you go hurtling down in this split second, closing your eyes, you immediately impact the snow and the dirt. And there's this dreadful pain in your jaw. And you hear, get up, I'm not done with you. And as your eyes flutter open, you seem to be now in a ring constructed of wood. There are goliaths all around you. You suppose now, looking down at your body as you climb to your feet, that you're in your teenage years, and standing across from you, fists raised in a battle stance, is your elder brother. Looking up at his brother, the mock doesn't say anything initially. He's somewhat perplexed, perhaps a little shocked, but the boot to his back kicking him off the mountain kind of brought him out of this serene, peaceful feeling, and he remembers that he needs to be concerned with what's going on, and that he needs to be picking at this illusion to try to find the end of it, because as he feels when he looks up at his brother, he remembers that his life is in danger, that like this is not a good place to be And so after being taken aback for a moment, he'll look up at his brother and he will say, you are not real. You do not matter. None of this is real. And all of this is behind me. Your brother simply scoffs and then delivers a massive right hook to your jaw that sends you spinning and you fall down into a chair. Basically, as the scene changes again, you don't seem to be that much older. You've accumulated a few leather armbands and some more pieces of fur and armor and such. And there's someone, another Goliath, a little younger than you, dabbing your forehead as you blink one of your eyes that's a little swollen. There's some cuts along your chest and your arms. And she says, That was foolish. You shouldn't have gone against that beast all on your lonesome. Don't you know what can happen to those who go out into the wilds alone? Vumak bats her hand away as she's dabbing at his brow. Do not lecture me of the world. I have seen so much more than you could ever imagine. Now I must escape this place. Kadagas, where are you hiding? 
You may bat her hand away, but she'll persist, continuing to wipe this blood off your face. And she'll say, what are you rambling on about? You, this, these are memories. I do not know how Cad has gotten a hold of these. It is some trick, and I do not trust you as part of this trick. You think that we don't care about you, or that father doesn't care about you, but you're wrong. I know he does not care about me, for all the good it did him. Look at him now, face down in the dirt, buried with the rest of his kin. Or has that not happened yet? Has he not grown old and sick, weak and infirm? You better not let him hear you say that he's the one that pulled you out of that mire. You should be thanking him. (laughs) Thank him for what? Because he chose to save you, the muck, and our brother paid with it with his life. What do you mean? You two fools. You went after that bear. You thought you were strong. You thought you were fierce, wild, and untamed like it. And it proved you wanting. And it took him. And it would have taken you had father not intervened. You think it was a bear that took him? You think it was some wild beast? Tell me, did father see this bear? Did he have to fight it off? He dragged it and you back here with his own hands. I do not remember any bear. I remember a trap laid for my brother. A trap of my own making. But there was no bear. There was no animal that killed him. What is the meaning of this? To show me things that could have been, that should have been? What devilry are you speaking? Why would you seek to lay a trap for your own kin? This does not make sense. My brother and father are dead. And you, who are you? Why do you tend to me? She'll just take the the wet rag and throw it in your lap and say, If you're going to continue to be so daft, then clean your own wounds. Damn it. And she'll knock the bowl off the table and the water will just splash you in the face. And with that like reflexive, like, like flinch, you'll open your eyes again and you're standing before a wash basin and this burnished mirror. And looking at yourself, you're almost like a fully fledged Vamok before you left your tribe, but not quite. There are some candles burning in this room, and it's mostly quiet. You just hear the creaking of the wood, the wind outside, and a very distinct weeping, very faint, from perhaps the next room over. I'm going to go towards the weeping as quietly as possible and very carefully. Like, I don't want to, like, rush into anything just very, very cautious because now Vamok is on edge. Now he is like, he doesn't know what game Cad is playing at and he doesn't think that he likes it. As you make your way to your door and then outside as silently as you can, this weeping is revealed to be in just the next room over. Though that door is shut, that noise intensifies the closer you draw. Though it's obvious who's ever crying is trying and failing to stifle said sobs. I'm going to reach down for the door handle. Is it locked? No, it doesn't seem to be as you try it. I'm going to push the door in very slowly, 
casting a little bit of light from the hallway into this room. You're able to do so without making a noise to a degree, and then as the door opens enough for, say, half your form to take up the doorway, the door gives off this large creak, and this Goliath girl, who'd been weeping just on the floor beside this fur bed, looks up at you, and her face contorts into pain and anger and just says, the hell do you want? Get out of here! For whom do you weep? I'm sorry, what? Are you suddenly the caring older brother? Tell me, who do you shed those tears for? Why do you care? You can't know. You don't have friends. You don't have people who care about you, who you want to care about. You're a stone, Vamak. I may as well be talking to one. You do not know me. You do not know what I have been through. The things that I feel, the pain, and the anguish that I have endured. It is better to feel nothing, to spare yourself from the pain that you feel now. That is what I learned long ago. That is what father taught me. That is what brother taught me. These tears you shed, they will not yield you anything. Only action can change the path that you are on. Action and power. These are the things that were taught to me. These are the chains with which I am now bound. Powerless to escape them. And you see that her sobs have evolved into a quiet laughter. And she just raises her head up and lays it against the the edge of the bed. And she's laughing. And she's like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh, ancestors. It said it feels pain. And then she'll level her eyes at you these like big red swollen eyes that are just brimming with tears that have stained her cheeks and she shakes her head and she says you don't know power of mock because you don't know powerlessness you've never wanted for something that simply couldn't be because everything to you you can change everything in the world can conform to your whims but you know what can't people others people we care about those people can't change no matter how hard you try you can't make them feel some way they don't feel or do something they don't want to do but you have to care about someone first to feel that and you've never cared about anyone go why are you here go back to bed and leave me alone why do you say these things to me as if you know me as if you know What I have felt, what I have sacrificed. Who are you to tell me that I have never cared for anything or anyone? Who are you to say that I have never shed tears, that I have never felt powerless? It is because of that powerlessness that I have shed such things, so that no one can have the power over me again. I overcome through my own strength, because I know I cannot depend on others. Those who should be there to teach me, to uplift me, father, could have shown me the way of strength. Instead, he was a cruel, vindictive man who raised cruel, vindictive boys who delight in the suffering of others. How am I to live with that if I break down and cry every time 
I am faced with the unsavory things that I have done to get where I am. You may think me heartless. You are not the only one to have leveled that accusation at me. But there are those that I travel with who have remained with me through the horrible things that I have done, who think that I am not beyond hope, and perhaps they are right. But I refuse to listen to the judgments of a fictitious character being displayed before my eyes in an effort to show me some truth. I have had enough of this. And Vamoxa and take a step back and shut the door rather forcefully. Not quite, like, slamming it, but giving it a good dunk. And you hear from behind you, uh, just down the hall from where you came, you believe all that, do you? What does it matter if I do or if I do not? I know how this story ends. It does not end with me sipping drinks on a beach with my companions, patting each other on the back, saying what a good job we did in saving the world. My story ends the same as my father's. Face down in the dirt, cold and dead. At least in the end, I will not have been anyone's pawn. Not veils, not eggs, not yours. I will choose my own fate, and I will dirty my own hands, so that the hands of the others that I travel with may remain unsullied. That is the best I could hope for. (laughs) What a noble cause you fight for. I can't disagree with you. No, not about this story, after all. But I don't think you quite know how it ends, because you don't know how it's written. Besides, that's inconsequential. I want to know something from you, Vamak. And Cad, who is kind of half in the darkness, just leaning against the wall, will stride down this hallway closer to you until he's only a few paces from you. And he'll stop and he'll say, Why, of all things, of all imaginations, people, places, and things, why were we brought to that cliff, to that ring, to that long house, and now here, to this night that never existed? What part of your mind conjured this? Because I believe you have me mistaken. I am merely a passenger. You are guiding this steed. So, Vamak, why here? Who, and he just points to the door that you exited, was that? What would you have me say, Cad? That that was what could have been? That it was a sister that I secretly longed for? A companion who I wish... My brother could have been. You say you are a passenger in this voyage through my mind. Yet, I do not know the meaning of these things. And you seem to hold yourself in a way that indicates you know something that I do not. No, no, on the contrary. I believe we're just as lost as one another, you and I. Call me intrigued, is all. What are you getting at, Cad? Did you come here so that you could see the tears of a fictitious woman? Some caricature in my mind of perhaps someone who would weep for me when I am gone? Is that what interests you most? You still seem to hold some misconception that 
I created her. This is your own doing, Vmok. This is your mind speaking. Perhaps as you've never had the thought to listen, the eyes to see, I know dreadfully little about you. Which is why I said... I won't seek to kill you. Not yet. First, I must understand you, fully understand you, and find out where you fit in this puzzle so I can correct it. And what correction do you see fit to levy at me? Now that you have seen this woman, who, if she truly is a manifestation from my own mind, Perhaps it is the judgment that I levy at myself. Now that you have seen the tears that I myself could not shed, what is the proper course for me? He cocks an eyebrow, and he looks at the door and then back at you, and he says, Oh, for you, I think it's a simple one. The others are complicated. But no, you've always been more to tread on the side of black or white. And I think for you, it would be fitting to mete out such a thing. I think in the grand puzzle, some pieces fit, and some just don't. Scarred, marred, warped or otherwise, best to blot it out like a stain and find a new one. You, he'll point his finger at you and nod and actually turn and start walking back down the hallway where he came. You should have stayed where you were lived and died inconsequential on the side of some god's forsaken mountain forgotten by family unloved by friends and buried in a shallow grave to be eaten by the summer lichen no you should have never come here Vamak. and he'll turn around again his arms spread and you see this sense of realization in his eyes like he's figuring this out as he goes along you are not like the others. You don't have a greater purpose here. You were only ever a stumbling block, I believe. Unless, of course, you you think me wrong. Prove me otherwise. Everything they did with you, they could have done without you. Vamak, now being the one to look like he's realizing something, says, Perhaps you are right, Kandagas. And a grin starts to spread across his face. I do see things in black and white, and you have made it quite clear that you are my enemy. You tell me that I should have stayed put. Well, I will tell you the same. You should have stayed where you were and left well enough alone. I know what I am capable of. I am one who would skewer his own companions. Therefore, I will have no reservation skewering you. <laughs> oh, Vamak. It's darling, truly. Who was it, Rolandia, that you stabbed? That you impaled upon that ghastly arm of yours? Yes, that's what it was, wasn't it? I know exactly who you are, but I also know exactly who I am, Vamak. And I am not one who would simply skewer his companions. I am one that would burn the world over a million times to get what I want, to get what it deserves. I once thought you similar to me. 
and for that reason I perceived you as a threat. But I think for Mark, and Cad turns his back and starts to walk down the hall again. I think the more I realize, and his voice grows tinny, a little echoey, and as if like dream perception, location change all of a sudden without context, the wood is no longer wood of these walls, but rather a slick stone, old, old brick of a subterranean system about an inch, two or three inches of water at your feet, and you hear the tiniest little just splish-splash of Cad's feet as he recedes into the darkness. No, you and I were not alike. You were never a threat. Not at all. Because you, Vamak, are simply a being, and I am simply more. And then the little splish-splash of his feet stop, and he's completely shrouded in darkness. You can't see if he's even still there or not. Down this long hallway in this subterranean sewer. Looking around, recognizing this sewer as where he was imprisoned underneath Almoran so long ago after a scheme to get inside the city went wrong and he ended up in shackles, Vamak is going to very carefully start making his way forward in the same direction that Cad went, but he's wary because he has some idea of what happened here. He knows that there's danger. And as you're walking along, every step you take, you can feel this blood drumming in your ears with every little splish, splash, splish, splash of your feet. There's three, four heartbeats accompanying it. And every junction that you pass, these narrow hallways that stretch on into just this unseen oblivion, There's this strange vertigo that overtakes your eyes every single time you look down those gaping hallways. And perhaps Vamok doesn't even realize it, but your breath has risen out of your chest and into your throat to where it's in, out, in, out, inconsolable. This anxiety, this pounding, something that he hasn't felt in a very, very long time, probably. Vamok tries his best to keep his cool. He can feel his heart thumping against his rib cage. Like the blood is pumping. He can it's like he can hear it in his ears. That's all he can hear. It's all consuming. And he knows that there is something lurking in this darkness, something that he can't quite put his finger on. But feeling almost compelled, even knowing that the stench of death hangs over this place and not just any like his death but he feels compelled to move forward deeper into this darkness and face whatever is in there and as you go step by shallow step junction by junction you come finally to a room larger than these hallways that you've been in before a ring of platform going around the perimeter of the room and what seems like a single step down to maybe a half foot of water in the inner area. Small drains near the tops on both of the terminal ends empty out into this room and conceivably then drain underneath in the middle. And you hear from beneath this water a sort of wailing as you see bubbles are rising to the surface and you can hear this frenzied screaming and panting. And it's desperate and it's panicky. 
And then as you step just the slightest step off the platform and into the sort of two inch deep water, the six inch deep water, the bubbles cease and the screaming stops and you're left with silence save for the water that has slowed to a trickle in these aqueducts on either end of the room. Vamok stops moving and instinctually tries to use his tremor sense to perceive, right? He, he's reaching out with intent, just as a natural reflex, not even thinking about it because he knows that whatever danger there is, right, after all that, the noise and the, the, the freaky screaming and everything, he knows that it's close. And as he stops in the middle of this room, this nexus of these hallways, of these sewers, he tries to reach out and pinpoint the exact location of this creature because he knows that the last time he was here, his life almost ended. He knows that as he sees everything around him and he remembers being in these dungeons beneath Alboran, he knows that this was probably the last time that he felt truly powerless, that he felt that his life could be snuffed out with as much effort as it would take to blow out a candle. And he is determined to not let that happen here. And so he's sitting and he is waiting for this thing to make its move, for this creature to come at him and for things to maybe be different. You hear a small skittering and a cheeping like rats or mice, but then something too strange echoing along from one of these passageways, like tiny blades clacking against stone, almost like someone just tapping their fingers over and over in a pattern on the desktop or whatever as they're waiting impatiently and then that ceases roll a wisdom saving throw wisdom you say that's one of my two saving throws that i'm proficient in (laughs) good thing too because that's a total of 17 kind of a low roll as there's almost this instinct to raise your arms in defense you fight that, but for the brief second that your hands come into your periphery, your fingers are shaking. And even as you clench them into fists, you can feel in your wrist this beat drumming against your skin as your heart goes faster and faster. Okay. Vamak is going to try to steal himself. For someone that has spent so much time studying death, and studying ways to avoid it. I think he realizes now, kind of for the first time, that his obsession with death was rooted in a fear of it, was rooted in this idea that I don't need to be afraid of death if I can avoid it. But after his talk with Cad, Vamok comes to a different realization. The realization of if he truly does not belong, and if he truly has nothing to lose then I guess it doesn't matter if this goes either way. And so he is going to take a big breath in and then exhale in through the nose, out through the mouth. And he's going to raise his fists and he's going to get in a bit of a fighting stance, spread his legs out a little bit, make sure he's nice and firmly rooted so that he can't be knocked off balance. And again, he's going to wait and he's going to try 
to keep his cool until this thing gets close enough where he can take action and try to defeat it. And you hear again this, like, knife points against stone, clacking, clinking, from one hallway, then another, and then the entire opposite end of the room, and carried on this putrid wind that wafts through this sewer, you just hear, Bloody And a chill goes down Vamok's spine, like all the hairs on his body are standing up on edge. And even after he has steeled himself, he still feels his blood run cold, and he still feels that instinct to start running. Is there any indication where this voice, where this stench is coming from? Roll perception. That's a six. As you turn this way and that, you finally pinpoint where it's coming from. But by then, all you hear is <sighs> right into your left ear, and you are floored into the water. The mock, knowing that this is exactly what happened last time, starts to panic. All of the resolve, all of the steel, it just evaporates in an instant. And for a second, two seconds, five seconds, what feels, it feels like time is just stretching forward into eternity. He's struggling, right? And he's feeling like this is it. For everything that he has done, for all his chest thumping, his grandstanding, for all of his speeches and harsh words about strength. Here he is, drowning in what can't be more than six inches of water. For all his cunning and scheming, this is it. With these thoughts racing through your mind, this foul taste of muck in your mouth as this water floods your nostrils, as you're pushed, leaned on into this stone, and then your head is wrenched back and cracked down as your nose snaps against it and the taste of blood fills your throat as water and gunk rushes into your lungs, followed by your own blood. You just hear this incomprehensible screech and scream muffled by the water, briefly made clear as you're ripped from it and then smashed back down underneath. As of a mock struggles as he flounders in this water. He has, you know, one of those moments, not quite his life flashing before his eyes. He just had that. But he does have a moment, this out-of-body experience, where it's like he's talking to himself. Is this really it? Is this all that you can do? Is this everything that your companions struggled for? The losses that they have endured, the things they have sacrificed to bring you with them. Is this all that you will do with the chance that you have been given? And in the moment before his vision just fades to black and he's gone, Vumak decides that for once he will decide his own fate and that what is happening right now is unacceptable. And so he is going to try to grab at the arms that are pinning him down. He's going to grab 
with his own hands and he will dig with his fingernails into the flesh of whatever creature this is and just try to wrench this thing's hands off of him. And if he is able to, will will try to overpower this thing as much as he can, use whatever brutality is available to him. He does not care if he needs to gnaw through the rotting flesh of this creature if it means that he is going to come out of this alive. And in this brief like moment of absolute clarity of purpose and being, you're filled with fervor and hope as you reach up to grip these arms and then an exquisitely painful detail. The bladed fingers of this creature rip your jaw from your head and smash your skull into the rock beneath the water as blood and brain leak into the sewer. And then with an intake of breath, cold air fills your nostrils, sitting on the edge of the world where it all started. Except you're not 10-year-old Vimok anymore. In fact, your skin's blue. And you hear from behind you, Hmm, I see. Well, perhaps there's worth in you after all. But time will tell. And if you look back at Cad, he glances over his shoulder as if something unseen is approaching. Then he shrugs. Yes, time will tell. But I think I understand you now, Vamak. At least a little more than I did before. I haven't changed my mind, no. No, you don't matter, but I think you'd sorely like to. And breathing in, taking in the situation, realizing he is back in the world, Vamok levels his gaze at Cad and says, And I have not changed my mind either. Before this is over, you will be skewered upon this hand. And he holds up his blue hand, right, and then... He assumes his form of dread, pulling forth the claws that he hopes to place within Cad's heart. And Cad looks at you, smiling devilishly as around you, your companions start to come to, and he begins to pace like a predator, like a wolf, lowering slightly, pulling blades from his hips. And he says, good, good, that's the spirit I want to see. That's what Vamak must become. Only then will you have a place in the world hereafter. But I have seen your fear, Vamak. I have seen your terror. And I'll tell you this. And with that, his blades unsheath and he holds them at his side. You haven't seen anything yet, 